Hey, Sales of Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Andy Paul on the podcast. Hey, Andy, how are you today? Tyler, I'm fine. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for joining. Andy is the host of the Sales Enablement Podcast and the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Sell Without Selling Out. Andy, we're going to talk a lot about what that means to you. The title is Sell Without Selling Out. What does that mean? Why did you title the book that? <laughs> I'm the book... <laughs> It looks a little bit of a statement piece, if you will. It's very personal. We're sort of this inflection point in my mind. I'm sort of in sales is we've experienced 10, 15, 20 years of increasing automation in sales. And the bottom line is we haven't gotten any better at sales. When we look at the overall reports about how well sellers are doing individually in the field, we look at win rates across many industries have dropped, close rates drop, but no decision rates are up, percent of quota, reps attaining quota. Mm. Dropped, and you would think, okay, we've got all this great technology. Mantra is just fantastic. Why aren't we doing better? And the issue is not the technology. What's happened is we've hadn't reset basic sales behaviors, which weren't great before the advent of technology. And what we've done is sort of automated said bad sales behaviors. So with the net result being is we're still not very good at this business. And say in the book, as Dan Pink says, if to sell as human, we need to get a lot better at selling to humans. Mm. And part of the problem is that, yeah, as for so many sellers where they're socialized, they're trained, they're coached to behave in ways that buyers instinctively resist. It's the classics are salesy, pushy, sleazy, intellectually lazy, lazy and curious behaviors that I sort of lump in this category of calling salesy behaviors. Why are we still doing those? Because they don't work and the buyers instinctively resist them. Yep. And so I call that behavior selling out. Why are we still selling out? You have a choice and the alternative is what I describe in the book as selling in, which is look, there's really a very small number of call them attributes, if you will, that you need to really master in order to become consistently good at selling. And whether you become great at selling just depends to the degree to which you decide to master these. Mm -hmm. But for somebody to become consistently good at it and to create a buying experience on the part of the buyers that says, yeah, this is a person that I trust. They have established credibility. They're really interested in what we're doing. They're delivering value to help us make a decision. And thus, we're more likely to buy from that person. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, the research has shown is that a majority of the purchase decision, the criteria in the mind of the buyer purchase decision are based on how they experience you as a seller, mm. not you as a company and the company you represent, but you as a seller, as an individual, it's hugely decisive. It still is. <laughs> Despite many people not wanting that to be the case, <laughs> it is the case. Yeah. And you have to be very intentional about how you go about and create that type of buying experience that the buyers want. And so that's why I describe in the book, that's behaviors I call selling in. Mm -hmm. And it really is four core attributes, if you will. I call it connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. They're your ticket to the level of success you want to achieve in mm -hmm. the world. Like I said, you can become good or you, you can take the extra mile, become excellent, or you can become great. It really depends how much you want to invest in yourself to reach those levels. And it sounds like you think most sellers out there right now are selling out. Do you think that more need to make this pivot from selling out to selling in? Is that what you see out of most sellers these days? Yeah. This is how we train people. This is how people think that sales is supposed to take place. Maybe it's some of we get through popular culture when we're watching movies and TV shows, Glenn Clary, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> There's outliers. It's never all or nothing. There's some people maybe have had success doing that, but by and large, for most sellers, it's not effective. Mm -hmm. And for most buyers, it doesn't work. You can badger somebody who in certain situations, maybe something transactional, like I said, you saw on Wolf of Wall Street, badger somebody into buying something they have no 
desire to buy, that's not really a victory for anybody. Mm -hmm. What I describe as the alternative selling in with the connection, curiosity, generosity, or understanding generosity is those are innate human behaviors. Mm -hmm. We're all wired to want to connect with other people. We're all wired to be curious. And we use our curiosity on a daily basis to navigate the complexity of the worlds around us. We ask great questions, try to understand people. Understanding is part of our empathy is understanding how other people feel and how we can help them. We're wired to be generous as human beings. It makes us feel good. There's psychological rewards we reap from being generous. Not to mention it triggers reciprocity as well. I found it curious the longer I've been in the business and written about this. It's like, yeah, it really boils down to if we want to act more human, then in a way that's more natural to us, then chances are better that we'll succeed in this business. Mm-hmm. And to the degree that we want to be what I call salesy, we're not. Often I pose a question to the audience when I speak to them and say, okay, what's the one question a buyer will never ask you? Invariably, somebody says, well, I'll never ask you to raise your price. And I'll say, no, that's not true. I've had plenty of buyers ask me to raise my price. Mm-hmm. The one question they'll ever ask you is they'll never say, Tyler, I really love what you're selling, but I don't think we can buy from you because you're just not salesy enough. No one's ever going to ask you that. They're never going to ask you. Right. Being more salesy is not the answer to any problem the buyer has. And it's certainly never the answer to any sales challenge that you have. Why we still do it. And that's really the point is we can all stop this today. You as an individual can make the choice as I'm not going to do that anymore and choose an alternative way of acting. Who do you think is responsible then if you were to pivot to this selling in model and take on some of these core attributes, connection, curiosity, understanding, generosity, is that on the sales leader to try to instill some of those things in their team? Or is this on the individual seller to do this on their own? It's really both because if you're not getting it from above, you have to embrace it and grab it on your own. Yep. I talk about in the book is that you may have to do what I've done throughout my entire career, which is say, I'm going to push back against the process because the established process doesn't align with who I am. It doesn't align with my values, doesn't align with how I see the world, how I work with people, how I treat people in my life. And I think that is a source of discord that exists today in sellers. It's part of the reason that attributes to high rates of burnout is, is people are being forced to act in ways that just aren't aligned with who they are and their values and their character and their uniquely human strengths that we all have. Sales leaders, I think one thing that's been lost is we become more automated in sales. And as sales leaders lean into process and, and various other things as automation is that there's many that take the easy way and they've lost sight of the fact that they succeed only to the degree to which they help develop their individual sellers and help them succeed, help the individual sellers achieve what they're trying to set out as individuals. And if you try to take a cookie cutter approach to selling, then we see what we see now in sales as the high level burnouts, which create high levels of churn among not just SDRs, but AEs. And we're certainly seeing some of that come home to roost now in the midst of the, whatever, the great resignation, whatever you want to call it. I think uh, the best term I've heard for it is the great reassessment. (laughs) And you see it as people say, I don't want to come back to the office. This flexibility has been great. And I'm going to demand that I be able to retain this. Well, that's a first step to retaining and reclaiming your humanity in sales as well. It's the ticket forward. If you want a long career in sales, you're going to have to learn a long career assumes that you're good at it. I'm not talking about becoming superstars. I'm talking about just being good at what you do, to enjoy what you do, to find fulfillment in it, to be able to earn enough money to support your financial goals. It requires that you learn how to create a buying experience for the buyer that is memorable, helps them achieve the things that are most important to them. And if you can do that, then you have a sustainable career. One thing you brought up a couple of times is automation. And it sounds like you think that 
some sales teams or individual sellers have, it sounds like lean on automation too much in their process. Now, it sounds like that might be what you think is automation good in sales. What is good sales automation look like? What should you be automating? And then what shouldn't you be automating? It's how you use it. If you want to carpet bomb your prospects with <laughs> lightly personalized emails, that's one thing, but you think, okay, we all know intuitively that's not good. And yet my inbox fills up with literally hundreds of emails a day between my regular email inboxes and my LinkedIn inbox mm -hmm. of people that continue to believe that they can just send you crap and hope that it'll take. They're just playing the odds. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing that so much about selling these days, certainly when people use automation, they use it in a way to play the odds. If I can put enough crap into yep. the top of the funnel, I'll winnow down enough of it so that we're not going to have a very high win rate, but an aggregate we're going to be able to continue to grow. We'll win something, basically. We'll win yeah. something. <laughs> but I challenge sales leaders, and there's not universal agreement on this, but I know I'm right on this, is that if you're in a SaaS business and you've got, let's say, a 20% win rate, meaning you're winning one out of every five of your qualified opportunities in your pipeline, and that's average for many SaaS companies. Yep. If practice makes perfect, what are you getting practice doing at a 20% win rate? The only thing you're practicing is losing. Yeah, you're losing a lot. With you're losing yeah. <laughs> a lot. You're getting really good at losing. It doesn't need to be that way. If you're going to invest any time in a prospect and a buyer, why aren't you doing what you need to do in order to win? And this part, again, it's just, as far as I'm concerned, it's just craziness. It's one thing if you're selling into a market, which I call has infinite TAM, where you can afford to go through and burn through and churn through your available market mm -hmm. with these sort of tactics. But at some point, that infinite TAM begins to diminish. Right. There's more competitors and you have to learn how to sell, actual sell, not play the odds, sell. So if you're a salesperson in this environment, you shouldn't let yourself be used this way. You need to take responsibility for saying, look, if I'm investing my time in this buyer, what do I need to do to have, let's say, at least a 50% chance yep. of winning the deal? And what are those actions? And what am I missing currently and how I'm doing it? It boils down to, you have to think about it from the perspective of what is the experience of the buyer with me, with my company through this process? because their decision ultimately is a referendum on you. If you as a seller account for the majority of the criteria they use to make the decision, then it's a referendum on you. And it's personal, not as in you're a bad person, but personal as in you just didn't give me a reason to buy. Right. I'm so glad you brought up the infinite TAM because I feel like a lot of sales organizations act as if they have an infinite TAM. I feel like when you talk about the carpet bombing and the spraying and praying at the top of the funnel, it's as if we can just do this forever and the math will yeah. always work out and the TAM will just always keep coming. There'll just be yeah. more prospects that we can find, new companies and all. We know that's not the case. Like you said, there's going to be more competition. The world's going to change. The industry's going to change. And the TAM, if anything, will always get smaller and more competitive. But it seems like a lot of organizations act the opposite way. They act as if it will never end, if there's always be this infinite supply of prospects for us to try to put into the top of the funnel. I think it's a little bit of an artifact of the tech world and the way companies are funded and the expectations of investors to find your product market fit and then scale quickly. But the fact is for many investors, their goals really don't align with those of the management. Mm -hmm. If the management's trying to build a sustainable organization that could be around for 10, 20 years, as opposed to having a three to five year horizon for an exit yep. where Airbay leaves and poor people left behind have to deal with the wreckage. Mm -hmm. 
that certainly plays into some of this, but you see it in many companies, many industries, not just tech. It is at the heart of the problem. It really, if you think about it, and I write about this in the book, is where you start to make a change is how you educate sellers about what their job actually is. If you ask most sellers, as I do, often I speak to groups, is what's your job? As a salesperson, what's your job? And the most common answer is something along the lines of, my job is to go out and persuade somebody to buy my product or service. And my response is, that's not your job at all. What your job is, is to go out and listen, to understand what's the most important thing to your buyer and then help them get that. That's your job. Your job is not to persuade them to buy what you have. It's to understand what's the most important thing to them and then help them get that. And if you think about that, if I think my job is to go out and persuade somebody to buy something, then I'm going to take one set of actions. If I think my job is to listen, to really understand what's most important to my buyer and then help them get that, I'm going to take a different set of actions. And if you think your job is to persuade, then you immediately default into pitching. Show up a buyer first thing, I'm going to pitch you because my job is to persuade you. And if I'm really focused on persuading you to buy my product, I'm not really that concerned about what's most important to you because <laughs> you're going to buy my product regardless of what's most important to you. And it just sort of cascades from there. And I was just talking to somebody yesterday on my show and authors wrote a book, talked to a lot of you know, C-level buyers. And just the refrain is just constant. These are new interviews with people is that 90% of the interactions that they report just with salespeople, just valueless for them. Why is that the case? It's because I've got an agenda. It's to pitch you my product. I'm not really curious about you as much as you think. I am to a superficial level just to see whether you're going to buy my product. Right. And buyers are human beings. They sense this. They understand where you're not really interested. They understand if you're not really curious about learning about them and their business. That's back to this whole idea about how they experience you. But if you go in leading with this idea, is I need to connect with this person. I need to establish this basic connection because that's how I'm going to build my credibility and trust with them. And then I'm going to use my curiosity to ask great questions to really try to surface what's most important to them. Ask great follow-up questions to make sure that I really understand truly understand what's most important to them and then give of my value to help them achieve the desired outcomes. And it's put it in that frame. It's just, it's different. And you're there not to persuade you're there to influence the choices and the trade-offs that they make about how to achieve what's most important to them. And that's why one of your core attributes is not persuasion. No, because not at all. in fact, in sales, we're not really trying to persuade someone to do one thing or another. We're trying to, like you said, connect pique their curiosity, understand their situation. And then if there's an opportunity for us to help, we help. And then otherwise, do we move on? Or what do you recommend at that point? Sure, disqualify. Disqualify. Not everybody's a fit. (laughs) The fact is on every opportunity, there's always one thing that's more important than everything else. And as sellers, your job is to find that. I call that the most important thing. Hmm. What's the most important thing to the buyer? And who is it most important to? If you understand that, then you can say, okay, now I can shape the content I'm providing, the way I'm working with the buyer, to help them understand, okay, how can they solve this important problem? How can they achieve their most important business outcome? And if you're laser focused on that, while your competitors are still trying to push across a broad front features and benefits, yeah, you're going to dramatically increase your odds of winning. Because when you get to the end and you're saying, look, we're going to co-create the story of what success looks like for you. And I call this the vision of success. If you can co-create this vision of success for the buyer. And there's been studies done on this. And I think Forrester did one about 10 years ago with enterprise IT buyers is that if you can be the vendor, the seller, whose vision of success is adopted by the buyer early, your odds of winning the deal go up substantially. It's like 65% chance of winning the business. 
That's the end goal of what you're trying to do with the buyers is work with them to create the story of what success will look like for them when they achieve their most important thing. That's what you're focused on. The sooner I can make that happen with the buyer, then the greater my odds of winning. Throughout the sales process, the first thing we should do is be trying to identify that most important thing. Do you think that should happen as early on in the process as possible? It's a goal of discovery. The thing is, and this is, again, as an issue of how we train sellers oftentimes, is we say, look, either we give sellers a list of questions that this is the questions we ask, or through listening to your peers and the recordings and so on, you sort of develop your own list of questions. We're good at gathering information, but what we're not good at is really understanding what's most important to the buyer. I've got a lot of information about you. I've just asked all my questions, but what do I really understand about what's most important to the buyer that's going to help us help them? Hmm. I talk about this in the book is we have to learn how to cross this gap that exists between knowing something and understanding something. Mm -hmm. And part of it gets down to, we think about empathy is that our common use of empathy in sales is conventional, compassionate empathy. Well, I can put myself in your shoes. I can feel what you feel. Doesn't do you any good whatsoever. The only thing that does good is if I understand why you feel the way you do. That's called cognitive empathy. That's what you want. It's not just, yeah, I feel your pain. It's I understand why you feel pain. And, mm-hmm. and when I get to that point of understanding, then I have a clear path to work with them to say, okay, now I understand. And it seems like most sellers don't get to that point. It seems like most sellers stop at empathy, but they don't get that why behind. They don't get the cognitive empathy. They just stop it. I hear you. I think I understand. Do they truly understand why? No, I use that example actually in the book is to say <laughs> when someone says, I hear you, what they're really saying is, I hear it, but I'm not really listening. I hear it. I wrote it down, but I don't really understand what you meant. And I don't know why I just wrote it down. And now I can put that in the CRM and we can move on. (laughs) That's my exit criteria. Check it. I checked the box. I've got that one. I can move this one to the next stage. (laughs) Part of what happens is this idea that discovery is this neatly contained Mm -hmm. thing that happens. We've got a stage for it. We've got these entrance and exit (laughs) criteria for it. Yep. And the fact is discovery happens up until the moment you sign the contract. Mm-hmm. And so if you put it in this box, believe me, you're going to fall short to a competitor that <laughs> understands that to really sell in and create this experience with the buyer, I'm continually discovering, understanding, and exploring further. I talk about the book, trying to reach the level of understanding. And so you've asked your questions and I lay out six different types of questions specifically you can use for this. Mm-hmm. And then understand, we talk about the follow-up questions. What are the follow-up questions you ask to really get to a level of understanding? And I think they're really simple ones that you can use on any occasion. Something like, that's interesting. And what else can you tell me about that? Or that's interesting. Tell me more. And you can string those together. You can say that three times in a row. You can keep saying that. You can keep saying it. But at some point you're going to reach the end of the road, right? Gone too far. So when you reach the end of the road, then you're going to summarize and you're going to reflect back to the buyer. You're going to say, okay, let me just reflect back to you. This is what I understood you said. And they say, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what we said. Here's what most sellers miss. Because then they miss the really killer question that comes after that, which is, okay, so what are we missing? We think we understand everything. We're all in agreement. We've got it. Okay. What are we missing? And when you do that, suddenly it's like, oh, we're thinking about it even at a deeper level, mm-hmm. the buyer together with us, even a deeper level, because our job as sellers in part is to help the buyer understand the problem they're trying to solve, the depth and the breadth and all the ramifications that come from solving it or leaving it unsolved. We're helping that it's a big source of value for our buyers. We got to get to that level of understanding to really make sure we can do that. So a question like that is, yeah, we think we've got it all nailed. Yeah, most sellers leave, said you stay and say, hmm, so what are we missing? 
Very powerful. And I think that's one probably that a lot of buyers probably aren't used to hearing. No, they're not. No. They'd probably be caught off guard by that question. Which is fantastic. Exactly. Which would cause them to think and maybe clarify that why. Clarify what is missing. Clarify that context in between that whoever you're competing against likely isn't. They've already checked the box. They're moving on. And you're still trying to understand what they mean, what they're saying, what's missing from what we've talked about. This is a great quote I have in the book from Clayton Christensen. I wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. Unfortunately, I passed away a year or so ago. And he said that, paraphrasing, but questions are places in the brain where answers go. And if you don't ask the questions, there's no room for the answers. And it's a great mindset for sellers to have is think there's no room for answers. So I don't ask the questions. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask the questions and I'll get more information that can fit in. So none of these things are hard. Learning how to connect with another human being. Well, again, we're wired to do that. We all mm-hmm. hesitate to use the word, but I'll use it anyway. Is the basic way to connect with another human being is I'll ask people, so, do you know how to make a friend? <laughs> we're not trying to make the buyers be our friends, but it's the same motion you're using it in the business context is, yeah, you meet somebody in a social setting, I'm interested in you. Yep. If you meet somebody in a social setting at a back to school night or something, is the first thing you're trying to do is, let me put you in my friend funnel <laughs> and I'll blast you with some emails right. coming up. I've got some and, automation. I'm going to yeah. nurture this friendship for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I'm going to nurture this yeah. friendship <laughs> email for a while. Of course not. Yeah. Right? You just <laughs> And that's that connection part in the book you're talking about, right, Andy? It's that connection, which like you said, is instinctual, is us just being human beings, connecting with another human being. But I think that we say it's instinctual. We say that it should be natural. But I think sometimes in sales, it becomes maybe the hardest step. Oh, sure. Because we load it with all this weight. Oh, there's so much pressure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because first of all, as soon as I show up in the office or at home, I roll into my home office, I have to put my sales hat on. Mm -hmm. No, you just have to put your human hat on. (laughs) (laughs) Or keep it on, rather. Keep it on. Or keep it on, right. Hopefully you already had that hat on and just keep it on. (laughs) Keep it on and just lean in from there. I have in the book this exercise you can practice to get better at this. If it's something that's unnatural for you. I call it ask five, which is ask five questions. When you meet somebody new for the first time, can you ask them five questions about them before you have to say anything about yourself? I would imagine a lot of people would struggle with that. Yeah, you need to practice it. Exactly. But it would have great application to the beginning of a sales conversation or the beginning of a relationship. Absolutely. And so you practice it in a social setting. Mm -hmm. It works. That's where you're going to practice it. You're not going to practice it. You can practice it on your customers, obviously, but... (laughs) There's a little bit more on the line then. If you want to get more aligned with it, practice it wherever you go. When you meet new people, social settings, yep. weddings, banquets, whatever. And grant us, we're starting to get back into those these days, hopefully. It's a great exercise mm-hmm. and it's keeping you focused. And so what you're communicating to the other person is, yeah, I'm interested in you. I'm sincerely interested in you. Mm-hmm. The way you make yourself interesting to another person is to be interested in them. And so it's true with your buyers as well, is to make yourself interesting to your buyers, demonstrate an interest in them. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Sales Lift with Andy Paul. That was part one of our interview with Andy. We are going to be back on next week with part two. So if you want to check that out, come back next week to The Sales Lift to check out part two. As always, the show notes are located at thesaleslift.com. That's the T-H-E sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T dot com. And you can check out the show notes, transcriptions, and more. Uh, And we will be back again next week for part two with our interview with Andy Paul on Sell Without Selling Out. So make sure you check us out next week. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Goodbye.